Hello, welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms and also now on YouTube as well if you want to watch the podcast while you're doing something else. Now, they call it Blue Monday, but it's feeling pretty red to me. I'm Rich Fane. On today's podcast, we'll look back at United's Derby Day Delight, discuss whether Eric Ten Hag's side are truly in a title fight and look ahead to the midweek clash with Crystal Palace as well. I'd like to be joined by Samuel Luckhurst and Tyro Marshall, who are both at Old Trafford at the weekend. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, it's pretty easy at the moment with, with United winning. There's there's not a lot of uh, negativity to, to write about. Yeah, very good. Very good, Rich. It was uh, an engrossing and enthralling derby, wasn't it? And uh, I, I'm doing two podcasts today, so this is the one I've got to be in a good mood for. And uh, in a couple of hours, I've got to put my blue hat on and uh, wipe wipe any smiles off faces and, and be a bit more sombre. So, um so yeah, this one's this one's certainly going to be a lot easier than the uh, the one that's coming up. Yeah, you said smiles on faces there, and it really was a, a great Old Trafford day, wasn't it, Samuel? At the weekend, I mean, just to start off with quite a vague question: what what did you make of it? Were you, do you think United were worth the win? They were, and the only upside of the Wi-Fi collapsing. Uh, was that rather than getting stressed over it and trying to rush uh, my piece out, I just decided to try and take in as much colour as possible at at full time. And it it certainly felt like easily United's most important derby win since they delayed City's title win in 2018. I think there's an argument to be made that it's it's the biggest derby win since the December 2012 game, which was, was huge in the grand scheme of things, that Van Persie winner. because. Unlike in 2018, you can say United are pretty much neck and neck with the City at the moment. There's only one point that separates them. Uh, I think Ty was saying as we were walking out the ground on Saturday that United have won 21 of their last 26, which is absolutely unheard of from a Man United team in a, a long, long time. Even Ferguson's final seasons, they they weren't that consistent. They weren't that. Um, they didn't have a winning run to to match that at all, and when that second goal went in, just the, the noise of the celebrations, the, the glancing to the supporters to our right in the press box, it, it felt different uh, compared to a lot of key goals that we've we've witnessed at Old Trafford. It, it felt like that was, it, like in, in time, it might not be a breakthrough. They might just look back at that as that was a great derby day and United don't, don't keep up with uh, the pace setters this season as far as the league is concerned or they fall away or what have you. But certainly in in those last 15 minutes after they got the go- with the goal and then holding on for the win, that, that felt pretty seismic. It felt like there was a bit of a tremor at the at the stadium. You you could sense the, the significance of them getting that win uh, and, and to have done it barely three months after getting absolutely whipped at the Etihad where they were 6-1 down after 65 minutes. Whatever the context you look at it, it's it's been a remarkable turnaround and you only have to look at I mean Brentford that was on 13th of August so almost five months to the day since United had that generational Nadir at the community stadium here they are beating the champions in in a a really really stirring manner Um, I'm I'm sure we'll get on to the the minutiae of it and and individuals but 
just just the atmosphere, the occasion. Um, I thought they were well worth their win. They were the better team overall. But that said, when at one 0 I got a message from a mate saying this this game feels dead, and it, uh, City did have that much control. It did it did feel like it had got away from United. It was difficult to see them getting a goal. They got a, I, I, in my opinion, a, an element of luck with with the equaliser. But from that point on, City were mentally gone, and United uh, capitalised uh, whilst whilst City was still clearly steering over that offside goal. Ty, everyone, which was onside. <laughs> well, Ty, everyone talks about the uh, United's recent run and says, you know, they've only beaten the smaller teams in the league. It's not as you don't get carried away yet. You know, they've only beaten Forest, Burnley, Bournemouth. You know, but this felt completely different, didn't it? I mean, United sort of play to their strengths as a counter-attacking team but it still did feel like a game plan that they they did sort of perfect and how big is it do you think that United now have this character of they they win the games they should win and their record against the top teams this season as well is is really formidable yeah it is like you say that that recent run that that eight game winning run was was built on beating you know average sides um in terms of sort of the relevance of, of being close to United but They've beaten Arsenal at home this season, they've beaten Liverpool at home this season, they beat Tottenham at home this season, they've now beaten City at home, drew away at Chelsea. So yeah, their record against big teams as well is exceptional. And like you said, when you're winning 21 out of 26 games, then there's there's not many defeats in there, clearly. The record speaks for itself and they do just look a very accomplished team these days. It, it was built on those transitions, as, as Guardiola calls them, and being fast on the break, but that's the way to hurt City. United had very little possession, but when they used it, they used it really well. And the the reality is that, you know, there's there was one, I won't name names here, but there was one United fan on, on our desk who said to me after the game that he was still a little bit disappointed and wanted United to kind of go a bit more toe-to-toe with City. But I don't think anyone really beats City in that manner. Um, you know, even name Liverpool. Name, 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 name. <laughs> Even, even, even I don't know who it is. <laughs> Even when they've beaten City, um, they've you know even when Liverpool have beaten City, they do it that way on the counter attack and fast breaks. You look at the goal they scored at, at Anfield when they beat City earlier in the season. It came from came from the goalkeeper launching it downfield to catch City out of shape. So that is the way to beat City and the plan to beat City, and it worked perfectly. They were solid defensively. City had very few chances really. The, it, it did feel, I agree with something, it did feel at 1-0 like the game was dead. That was City's best spell just in terms of control. But it's it's a City side for me that are, are, are way well below par at the moment. And over the course of 90 minutes, if City had control for 20-25, then for 65 minutes, United looked dangerous. And I think on the balance of play, United deserved to win that game far more than City. Oh yeah, once again, you can only beat what's in front of you and United did enough to beat City on the day. So before we get into individuals then, I mean, what did you make of the uh, the tactical approach then? Because like I said, Ten Hag, it might not be the, the final blueprint he has for his side, 29% possession, only completed 310 passes compared to City's 737, but they scored two goals and City got one. Uh, do you think that United will eventually adapt into a team who can offer more of a presence maybe in this games or do you think it is just sensible that you know the ends justify the means they won by playing on the counter-attack so that is the something that they should stick with I think for certain occasions you can you can justify it as long as you're not altering the pieces you're not changing things around too much and 
we we discussed beforehand if Solskjaer's going into that game it's right I'm going to a back three and it's very explicit they're playing on the counter and really I mean Guardiola probably looks back at some of those defeats uh, to United under Solskjaer, who had a, a very good league record at one point. I think it was, what, unbeaten in four straight league games. Three of them were wins. And Guardiola must think, how the hell did I you know, fall into that trap? How, how did we not uh, at least avoid defeat in those games? Because it was so obvious what they were trying to do there. With Ten Hag, there is a bit more varied. They are more varied with the way they approach uh, games up in the first half, certainly. I mean, you said it with complete justification. He said, this does feel a bit like watching... Solskjaer's United. I mean, they they were happy to let City have the ball. Uh, they sat back off them. They they weren't pressing with any real great intensity, which uh, is it's not a surprise when you've got Marshall up front. And I'm sure we'll get onto him. And you know, talking of the odd negative, there's one. But there was a structure about them that was lacking at the Etihad. Where and I said it, I wrote it in my piece. The the failure to integrate Casemiro into the team was absolutely fatal. It was as good as a death knell in retrospect because that midfield two of Ericsson and McTominay was just too porous. With Casemiro there, I mean, Ten Hag has said so many times he's the cement between the stones, but bringing Fred in was a really, really good call. He's not only played well in derbies uh, in the past, but he's also got that rapport with, with Casemiro. And I think when Casemiro signed for United, there was there was an argument that the most balanced midfield three was Casemiro, Fred and Ericsson because you've got a 6, and 8 and a 10. It's not worked out that way because Ericsson's been very, very good from deep. I think Saturday might have been the first time he's actually started as the number 10. And of course, Fernandes has had a very good season and he is the playmaker in that team. And Kel Surprise, he starts a game on the right and then he moves infield and he's exactly where he'd want to be to, to get the equaliser. I, I suppose at the start of the game, you thought, well, maybe Ten Hag has rearranged the pieces a bit too much here. Luke Shaw's come in uh, as centre back, which I don't think many people would have would have done. I think the natural inclination from a lot of people who've watched United this season would be, well, start Martinez. He got ninety minutes under his belt against Charlton, and and put Shaw back at left back. But Shaw has been terrific in a in a two with with Rafael Varane in in, in the last few weeks. And that decision was was vindicated. United did have a threat up front in the first half. They had the best chances. They, I mean, City did not, apart from the goal, I don't think they had an actual real proper outright chance. You'd maybe say that Haaland's, when I think it was Casemiro got the block in, in the first half for Haaland, that, that is a chance. But David De Gea didn't have a save to make all game. Uh, the only time he had any real activity in his six-yard box was to you know, walk behind the line and gather the ball from from the back of the net. So eventually, I think United and, and Ten Hag will certainly want to evolve to the point that they're not as dependent on um, allowing the, the opposition to have the ball. Um, I mean, that was the case against Liverpool as well in the season. Liverpool must have had about 60-odd percent at the very minimum in that game. So there, there still is a bit of a, I, I hesitate to say, underdog feeling aspect about the way United play in those games. But, it, you know, I think I think the point stands. The difference, of course, is that they are only a point behind City now, and they are a number of points ahead of Liverpool. So that whole underdog spirit that Solskjaer really channeled, and they thrived off in in those one-off games, uh, particularly against City, it has been finessed somewhat by Ten Hag. Because, as I said, you know, people are talking about United possibly being title challengers, and 
the way it's going at Liverpool and Tottenham and to a lesser extent at Chelsea, uh, they, they might have top four boxed off uh, quite away before the final games of the season. Ty, moving on to individuals then. I mean, where do you want to start with? The, I mean, there's lots of positives to take. For you, who, who stood out the most? Um... I mean, it feels like you're almost naming the same names. I mean, Casemiro, again, fantastic. Um, so I thought Fernandez was was superb, obviously the goal, but just his his, his intelligence, the quality of his passing. You know, we think back to the start of the season and even last season when we said Fernandez would probably be, Fernandez felt like a player that might kind of fall foul of, of Ten Hag's system and what he wants to do in terms of possession and how he's high risk and high reward. But it feels like since maybe three weeks or so before the World Cup, he's been getting better and better in that midfield. And, and he's he's probably playing as well now as he's ever played in his United career. And I know the goals and assists numbers would, would suggest otherwise, but there's so much more to his game now than that. It, it feels like that midfield just ticks perfectly and, and Fernandes is a big part of that. Um, and then Rashford, I mean, you've, you know, you've got to mention Rashford, his... His, his contribution at the moment and his confidence is, is just phenomenal. The run he's on is is fantastic. He just looks a threat in every game. He, he probably should have taken one of those first half chances, you would say, but chances are coming to him so often at the moment that he's always in the game. He's scoring a lot of late goals at the moment. I mean, he didn't want to stay on the pitch, really. I think we all thought just before half-time he was going to go off with that hip injury. Um, but then, you know, the number of late goals he's getting recently feels, feels really high and he just seems a player that is just absolutely oozing confidence at the moment. Um, and then, I, I mean, probably a mention to Wambasaka as well. Thought he defended really well. Looks looks better and sharper with the ball at his feet. Um, we, we all wrote him off, um, you know, a month, about a month ago. Yeah, the World Cup was still going on, wasn't it? And since then, since he's had this run of games, he's looked better and better. He's he's certainly a decent squad option for the rest of the season. You, you still um, put Dallow ahead of him. I would, yeah, yeah. I would still put Dallow ahead of him. Um, I think he's just a better all-round option. Looks better when he has to sort of slot into midfield, as we see Ten Hag's fullbacks do, and often end up playing centrally, especially Dallow, maybe more than the left back actually. Um, so I would do. And then, like Sammy said, the centre back shout. I mean, Shaw was fantastic. It, they didn't really have a lot to do against Harland. Harland dropped into midfield an awful lot, and Shaw and Varane seemed to take the decision that they weren't going to follow him 20, 30 yards up the pitch. We're just going to let him get the ball and, and lay it off. But United man-marked the City midfield and just gave them no option. And even when Haaland did come and get it short and lay it off, there was still no ball on. But but Shaw has been excellent at centre-back. It felt a bit like throwing him to the wolves, upgraded him from the games he has been playing to playing in this. But it was a decision that was that was justified, as as remarkable as it was to us at half 11 when the team dropped, that he was... He was in ahead of Martinez. Samuel, in terms of attack then, I mean, you've already noted that Anthony Marshall had another game where he really didn't make any sort of notable impression on, on, on the occasion. But off the bench, Garnacho again, came good. Still in a teenager, phenomenal performance from him from the bench. He's probably one of the best game changers, uh, impact subs in the Premier League already. And he's only 18, 18 and a half. Uh, he was the obvious one to turn to. There was, I mean, when, when Anthony was warming up at half time, I think everybody thought, well, Rashford's Rashford's coming off. I mean, when he went down, the the manner of it, you felt as though they were giving him until half time, and then they would take the inevitable decision that he, he couldn't continue. If if Rashford went off, 
and Marshall stayed on with Anthony coming on. There's no way United would have won that game. You, I don't think anybody could could dispute that. The, the paradox with Marshall, and I mean, I reflect it in my piece, is that his his value increases when he doesn't play because him coming out of the team certainly unsettled United's balance. They had to, I think at the start, Anthony was playing through the middle, which was dubious. I mean, Akanji and, and Ake looked pretty gettable in the first half. But then when they're up against Anthony, it's, you know, you, they can be quite dismissive of him. It's it's a role that he's not accustomed to playing. And that's through no fault of, him, of his own. He's, he's been brought to play on the right-hand side. But where they don't have a proper striker, and I don't think the dynamic changes too much, even with Veghorst coming in on loan, because him, I mean, he plays a completely different way to uh, to Marshall and and to Rashford when he he plays up top as well, which he has had to do on on a number of occasions this season. But it was still a testament to the resilience and the belief that is you know, that, that Ten Hag has imbued this squad with that they overcame their biggest issue, which is a lack of ruthlessness because they weren't ruthless in the first half. Rashford should have, as Ty said, he should have taken at least one of those opportunities. And they concede first, yet they still go on and beat the champions. So I mean, we talk about how sustainable is this and personally I've always felt that it's it's not sustainable for the whole season but they are still winning games in gritty manners in, in resilient manners and of course the most significant so far this season would have to have been at the weekend or at least United will hope that's the case anyway I mean it still remains to be seen how how they're going to fare beyond City and maybe that will be seen as the high point in their Premier League season we we just don't know yet I mean Liverpool was was significant at the time it felt it it felt that it was significant at the time and it has been I mean when I interviewed Fernandes on Thursday he said that is the turnaround this season so far um, you know he, he's still not saying that's it for the season and quite rightly so so although you know, the attack is still an issue when you're still overcoming it to be a team as magnificent as City, uh, there is you know, there are a hell of a lot of things going right at United right now. Yeah, and like you said, again, maybe the biggest positive for United fans is there is still clear room for improvement. They're not the finished article by any means, and they're still making these these huge strides. Ty, you might have to answer this question differently on the next podcast you do, but the goal, Bruno Fernandes. Uh, I mean. What do you what, what's your take on that? I mean, I guess the the bottom line is it's been allowed. United have won the game, so there's only so much discussion worth going into. But did you feel United got got fortuitous with that one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it should have been offside. I don't. I struggle to understand how anyone can think he wasn't interfering with play. Really, and there's. I don't know if you've seen the images going around on social media this morning of that incident when Rashford's when Fernandez is coming on to shoot with Rashford cropped out of the image and I mean Akanji is is literally within he's close enough to slide in and clear that ball um, when Rashford is still four or five paces away from it if you take Rashford out of it and the only reason he can't is because Rashford's there so you know I think you have to accept there was an element of good fortune about that goal um, it's a it's a subjective call whether you're interfering or not it's it's obviously not a, a, a black and white offside rule. It's it's are you interfering in the game? But you know, I think it's difficult to make the argument given how close Fernandez was, given that he was in Akanji's way, given that he was on top of the ball when when Edison kind of made his move to dive. Edison doesn't know at that point whether it's going to be Rashford or Fernandez taking the shot. So, so yeah, I um, 
you know, I can probably give the same answer on both podcasts. I think United got a got a huge degree of good fortune with that goal. Did did you did you read what I, I'm loath to even mention him by name, but what a former a former referee wrote in the the Sunday Times yesterday? Uh, he, no, he, I he didn't. Doubled, I think he, he 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 may have said it during commentary because they. They get the idiot in to just you know talk like a robot, but he said that it just very dogmatically, Rashford was not interfering with play, which is absolutely ludicrous. He was he was practically shielding the ball almost for Fernandez. There's an argument to be made that it was as much an assist for him as Casemiro, if not more. Um, look, there, there are so many with these laws, these these idiots who come up with the terminology and they keep rewriting the rule book. And as I've said before, when you've got someone like David Ellery on this IFAB board, uh, I mean, anyone who can remember him as a referee, just, uh, I don't think anybody has got a good word to say about him. And uh, look, Ten Hag, perfectly reasonable afterwards. He said himself, you know, if, if he was in that situation that Guardiola was in, he, he would not be happy with it. I mean, it, it is a joke that anyone could say Rashford's not interfering with play there. Um, you know, but, for, for, you know, technically, it's it's onside, but I think to any proper football follower, they they regard it as offside. It's interesting that the the BT Sport was still on in the press room um, when we were all finishing up, and they had that score program on. And I think they had they they talk about the derby again, and they had Peter Walton come on and explain again why it was a goal. And you had the four or five ex pros who were on the BT Sport score program. All completely all incredulous. Yeah, that anyone, all the, all who have played the game and have been in that situation, completely incredulous that anyone could make the argument that Rashford wasn't interfering, even though the official, you know, another official did make that argument. And obviously, the the referee at the time and presumably the VAR felt felt the same. So there was a clear sort of divide between referees who might be looking at a, a rule book and interpreting it, and players who've been in that situation who can quite clearly see that that Rashford is contributing to. You know, he's contributing to the decision making of City's players, which is as interfering as it gets. Really, yeah, of course, it's not. You don't have to directly be touching the ball, do you, to have an impact on on the actual game? So, um, no. t- Samuel, I know you wrote a piece today as well, saying how sort of impressive uh, United's transformation has been with these sort of key serial winners at the heart of it. Varane, Casemiro. We saw during the game as well. There's that clip of Casemiro furiously sort of gesticulating, trying to come back onto the pitch after he'd been uh, forced off with, with a little knock. Uh, Varane's passionate full-time. Just how much of a sort of transformation has there been in the dressing room this season? How important are those those sort of serial winners to, to United's recent run of form? Those two have bucked the trend of these superstar signings. The, I mean, before Varane, they were almost all of them just absolutely hopeless. Uh, Di Maria didn't want to be there. Uh, Falcao was was a croc. Uh, he was a complete shadow of his former self. Schweinsteiger was well past his sell by date. Uh, Alexis Sanchez was a busted flush. E- even Ibrahimovic, who was terrific in his first season, I mean, people forget what a disaster his second season was. And Burnley on Boxing Day, and and, and him only lasting forty five minutes. So even Ibrahimovic, there's a little you know caveat with his his time at United. With with Varane, I thought during last season it was quite apparent that he was United's most important player. He, he it wasn't a coincidence he was avoiding participation. All these four goal flashings against Leicester and Liverpool and City. Unfortunately for him, uh, it, he was he was part of, he was tarred with the same brush at Brighton at the end of the season. And and again, this is a reflection of his importance. I don't think he's been. I don't think he's started and finished a game that United have lost 
since Brighton away. So you're going back to near well, it's, it's eight months now, I think, and he's he's just immense. It's been his his signing has been you know it's, it's a t- it was ten years later than intended, but it's well been worth the wait. Uh, he's he's just such a, a vital player of United, and and in fairness, they they cope pretty well when he when he. Um, suffered his injury against against Chelsea and Lindelof and Martinez looked like a good partnership but whoever plays next to Ferran becomes a better defender and the other impressive aspect about Varane and, and Casemiro is that they're completely invested in it which again you couldn't say that about Sanchez or, or Di Maria Schweinsteiger in fairness was invested in it uh, you know there was a real enthusiasm to play for United. He had an affinity with them from when he was when he was a boy, but he just didn't have the he didn't have the you know he couldn't get his performance level to what it was for Bayern Munich. Whereas with Casemiro, he's just been colossal. And I think one of the best things that probably happened to Casemiro as well was uh, Iwobi's goal for Everton against United when when Casemiro was robbed of the ball. Everton scored quite quickly to go one 0 up. And that was almost, you know, a jolt for him. That that's how quick and intense the Premier League is going to be. You're playing. It was a Sunday night at Goodison as well, which is is capable of creating a hell of a din. And Casemiro ends before the half has ended. Casemiro has played through Ronaldo with a brilliant pass for his last meaningful club goal. And again, he's another player who is completely invested in it. Um, he's he's got a connection with the fan base. It seems already. I mean that that footage of him and Varane uh, and Fred as well hugging hugging the supporters after Rashford scored. We saw the scenes at full time with with Varane doing his. You know, I think it was lofting his <clears throat> his arms in the air, getting a cheer half a dozen times or whatever it was. Uh, you can't underestimate the. The job Ten Hag has just done ensuring there's there's been a reconnection between the team and the supporters. Again, it was only five months ago at Brentford, you had United supporters singing "You're not fit to wear the shirt," having chanted that at Brighton last season and against Norwich last season. You look at that United squad now, and just just speaking, you know, from a professional perspective, it's it's a likable squad. Uh, you couldn't say that in in previous seasons. There there were too many bad apples in there. Uh, it feels like most of the bad apples have uh, have been rooted out and chucked out. And look, you know, I know I can sound like Roy Keane here, but that video of Jesse Lingard dancing in the Forest dressing room last week—I mean, United could well do without that, and they're better off without that kind of uh, personality in the dressing room. And obviously, you know, Rashford's very close with him, but I think for Rashford's sake, on a separate note. It's not a coincidence that he's, you know, it feels like he's on the cusp of attaining world-class status after toning down um, all, all the publicity and all the, the, the PR that, that he embraced for, for, for quite some time. Tag, another sort of note from the weekend, Vakvakos was there to watch his new teammates uh, win the derby. Uh, considering how badly Marshall played, how do you think he actually fits into this United squad then? Do you think he's someone we can actually expect to, to see starting in either of the games this week? Or do you think he is still going to have that supplementary role where you know it's a bit of a gamble off the bench? I think... I think there's, there's certainly a chance he could start on, on Wednesday. The fact Martial came off at half-time and elements of his performance in the first half makes you wonder just how fit he was. Obviously, he had a fitness session on the morning of the game. It, you know, it's, it's hard to make too many judgments on, on Martial's sprinting because when fully fit, he doesn't sprint that often all the time. But 
you know, there was times where his movement looked clearly restricted and like he was playing within himself on on Saturday. And the fact, like I said, the fact he came off at half time, it, it almost feels like it was maybe a prearranged thing. You've got give us forty five minutes, maybe an hour if you've got it, but but see how it goes. And if that is the case, it would maybe make sense for Vegos to start on. Wednesday, he'd have had a couple of training sessions. Then he trained yesterday and trained today. So, you know, he's going to be fit enough, it would seem, to to go straight in. He played for Besiktas last Saturday. So maybe maybe he starts on Wednesday and, and Martial comes back in if fully fit on on Sunday. And then beyond that, I think we'd, we'd probably see Veg, maybe see Vegos in both of the cup games uh, next week, away at Palace and home to, to Reading. They look like decent opportunities for him to play in, and it's just that, you know, it's just that um, sort of backup now and having that other option to Martial that allows Martial to to have the rest and try and stay fit. And you know, he he was he was poor on Saturday, but it, he clearly wasn't fully fit. And I think it was you know his movement suggested he wasn't fully fit. Um, so just having another striker that can come in is, is going to be vital and it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if he went straight into the team on, on Wednesday. Before we get on to uh, Palace then, a question for both of you. Are United in the title race? Uh, who's who's yes. got some of you? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're in. I, I would still say no because it's too premature in the season. Uh, I think it's a little bit like two years ago because of the World Cup, it's such a misleading time. Uh, two years, two seasons ago, however long it was, it was it was delayed because of COVID. This time, the, the World Cup, um, it, it feels like more Premier League games have been played when they haven't. I think if in an ordinary season, you'd probably say yes, that United would have played three or four more league games. And if they're in the position they're in, you could say that. But I, I still think that well, so how many do you think I'd they have to have played for, for us to judge them fairly then I mean it is, they played 18 at the moment which is under half when do you think you can fairly judge judge a side I, th- I think probably uh, post post Leeds uh, Ellen Road I mean who have they got they've got Palace Arsenal uh, they've got Palace again in the league and they might have played they might have to play Leeds in that midweek um Four, four days before Ellen Road, so maybe that early February time you could. I think that's probably more an ac- more accurate time to to judge it. But I mean, it, it is fascinating because I mean, much bigger leads have been uh, reeled in before than this eight point one with Arsenal and um, you know, Arsenal having a tremendous season. But again, it, it, you know, they're they're only halfway there. Ty, you seem to disagree. You think, yeah, involved. I think they're in it this week, yeah. Um, I might give you a different answer on Monday, but at the moment, you'd have to say they're <laughs> they're, they're in the title race. With the, the quality of players they've got and the form they're in, um, then you'd have to say yes, but to kind of maintain that, it feels like they need to win a Palace and maybe get a draw at, at Arsenal. Um, <laughs> excuse me, they are obviously in a position where they're in the title race, but but making up ground already, as they have been since the second week of the season, really. And, and they've made up a lot of ground due to that winning run. If they get that win at Palace, if they do draw at Arsenal, then especially with Arsenal having to play City twice, I think you can say it's it's a three-horse race. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask that, United, who, who else is in it for you? Do you still put United, both of you put United behind Arsenal, then City for, for the title race? Yeah. For, and Yeah, yeah. I... I, I 
I don't think, I mean, Liverpool, Tottenham, as, as, I mean, you've not mentioned them. I don't know why I'm mentioning <laughs> them, but you, you pro- I'd probably put United, United um, third favourites at yeah, the moment. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That yeah. I think we're all in agreement that top four, failure to get top four now would seem like a real almost failure of the season considering how well they're doing in the position they're in at, at the moment. But we, like I said, we shall wait and see. There's still a lot of football left to be played. That is what Ten Hag has been stressing uh, over the last few weeks as well. Uh, so, Palace this week then. Ty, you've said that you probably maybe would put Veghorst in. Samuel, I'll start with you. Would you make any changes for, for the match in midweek? I mean, someone like Fred, I mean, he played well in that sort of competitive role when you're out of possession, but it's going to be a very different sort of tactical approach. So would you go back to the sort of trying and trust, uh, trying to trust in midfield three of Casemiro, Eriksen, Fernandes instead, or do you reward the players who played well in the derby? Well, Fred gave possibly the performance of the season from United player against uh, Tottenham in, in October and then a few days later he was harshly dropped at Chelsea but United were brilliant in the first half there so on the strength of that I, I probably would take him out of the team and play Ericsson deeper Ericsson didn't have the best games at the weekend he was the right player to take off at that time when, when Garnacho came on for him but Fernandez is at his optimum when he's playing behind the striker and you've got to get him back there. I think you know, there was there was merit in doing what they did against City at the weekend, but there have been other games this season when Fernandez has played on the right and it's it's just been counterproductive. Real Sociedad away springs to mind with, with Donny van der Beek uh, rather incongruously coming into the team that night for his for his first start in what felt like a lifetime. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it's it's probably in their interest not to even start Martial just uh, out of the risk of actually exacerbating uh, whatever injury it is he's carrying. It, it's it's a it's a strange one in that he, he's he's been injured so many times this season and nobody can really quite put their finger on it and uh, he's not he's not a player who exactly exerts himself to the degree that you'd think that he'd be picking up injuries left, right and centre like I don't know, Ryan Giggs used to. He, he would obviously embark on all these sprints and used to get a hamstring injury every season, it felt like, in, in the 90s. But they've, they've got to... It's, it's, a bit, it's a big decision there because if Marshall isn't fit, do you put Veghorst straight in? I think that's still a dubious call, but then it might mean Rashford having to play up top when he's been playing absolutely tremendously from from the left. Uh, so th- there are a couple of big calls to be made there, and I, I also certainly think that with with Luke Shaw, as brilliant as he is at centre back, he's he's probably the best left back in in the league this season as well. So you, you want for a game like Palace away, you, I don't think you need to, you. you you, you don't have to make the allowances you make for City. Uh, you, I think it's better to play uh, square pegs and square holes. Ty, do you agree with that? I mean, again, we've been saying how good United have been at, at winning these games that you'd expect them to win. Uh, and it does seem that the way of doing that is just to play your best team. Yeah, I think so. I understand the Samuel, I go back to that kind of more attacking side, bring Anthony back in. Drop Fernandez back into the midfield, take Fred out, I think. Um, it does feel like Ericsson's, Ericsson's form has maybe dropped off the last few weeks, kind of going under the radar because of how well United's not playing. Do you not think playing, that's a, he's, think he's, he's always sort of playing the role that we thought he'd be signed for originally? He sort of exceeded the expectation early on and, and had to play every week. Quite possibly, yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, it does feel like he's not been as influential as he was in those first few weeks. So maybe you've, maybe Fred could keep his place and Ericsson could drop out and, and have a rest. 
Um, there's going to need to be rotation at some point, obviously, with the, the sheer amount of games at the moment. So that could be a possibility. But yeah, I, I would certainly go back to the more attacking team, the more the more natural front three, um, and, and and play that way really, especially against Palace. Who I think the last two home games have been three 0 and four 0 defeats. Um, you know, they they look low on confidence and out of form at the moment so I think United should should be going what for could them could possibly go wrong eh um, I will clip that up for Friday's podcast ahead of the Arsenal game um, Ty Samuel <laughs> yeah. thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast thank you and thank you once again wherever you are in the world tuning into this as we said at the start of the podcast we are now on YouTube as well so just search Manchester is Red subscribe to us there and you can watch the podcasts as well like we said we'll be back later in the week to look back at what happened at Crystal Palace and look ahead to the game against Arsenal as well take care and see you again next time Manchester is Red